Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles, first of all, this morning to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And then we'll be in 2 Chronicles right after that. Psalm 51. Stuart Johnson has said this about leadership. Our business in life is not to get ahead of others, but to get ahead of ourselves. A true leader does not say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Instead, he asks, if it ain't broke, how can I make it better? This truth is illustrating or underscoring the truth that the enemy of the best can often be something good. Things are going well here at Coastal Oaks Church. People are joining. People are being baptized. There's a good fellowship. There's a sweet spirit. Uh, we're produced, we're uh, proceeding with the building program. We've made a lot of uh, changes in the, the way we welcome new people into our church. A lot of good things are happening. But I wonder, could all the good be the enemy of the best? Could we be so comfortable the way things are that we're missing some great things that God has for us? So I want to start this morning a, a series on spiritual growth. And to begin this series, how can we position ourselves for the great things that God may have in store for us? Psalm 51 Beginning in verse 10, David prays these words, create God, create a clean heart for me, some translations say within me, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. We'll come back to that place in just a moment, but I want you to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. As this, the, the record is of the dedication of the new temple and this prayer that, that is lifted up and God says, I hear your prayer, but here's a warning. Look at this, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12. The Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. If the sky, if I close the sky so there's no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people, verse 14 is a key verse, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. My eyes will now be open and my ears attentive to the prayers in this place. I want us to look at some statements about spiritual growth as we position ourselves. Uh, just a, a, a clarifying statement. What we're saying today is what God's word has to say to believers. So if you're a follower of Christ, everything we say applies to you today. If you've never trusted Christ as personal savior, you need to trust him as your savior. Because once you trust him, he's going to call you to this life of spiritual growth that we're going to talk about today. So number one, we need to recognize the barriers to spiritual growth. Recognize the barriers to spiritual growth. We have to admit that we, individuals, we may be the very obstacle to the growth of God in our life. To the growth of God, the spiritual growth in our, 
in our congregation. If you look at verse 10 again, back in Psalm 51, and look how personal David makes his prayer. Create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit for me. Do not banish me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. And some would say, well, that's awful selfish of David. But I do believe there comes a time when you have to say, God, I want the spotlight to be on me. I want your, your conviction, your spirit, you, Lord, to be looking at me. So I think it's very appropriate to say, God, could I be getting in the way? I love what Jerry Bridges says about spiritual growth and, and our relationship with God. He likens spiritual growth to a farmer planting a crop. As the, the farmer plants the crop, he relies on God to bring the, the weather, the rain, the right climate, the right temperature, the right length of days to grow the crop. And this is what Bridges says about that. He says, the farmer cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer should do. Think about that. The farmer cannot do what God must do. He can't produce the rain. He can't produce the sun. He can't make the, the seed germinate. And God is not going to do what the farmer should do, which is, which is plow the ground, plant the seed, weed the, weed, weed the rows. So God, in essence, with a, partners, with a farmer says, I'm in partnership with you. I'm going to do all this stuff that only I can do, but you, farmer, are going to have to do what I want you to do. Think about that in spiritual growth. God says to us as followers of Christ, I'm going to do in you, in you and through you what only I can do, a work of my spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he says to us, I want you to do what only you can do, and that's to be in a place of obedience, to recognize those barriers. So let's list a couple of these barriers. First of all, unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin can be a barrier. David prays in verse 10, create a clean heart. He's saying, God, I want my heart to be pure. I want my heart to be clean. I want to deal with unconfessed sin in my life. Because unconfessed sin becomes a barrier, not only for you spiritually to grow, but it can become a barrier for the work of God in a community of believers. I think about the Old Testament, Achan. You have the story of the children of Israel, how God blessed them and led them out of Egypt and took them through the wilderness into the promised land. And, and, and all, all the time, God is reminding them to follow him, to trust him. And he tells them when you go to Jericho, don't take any spoils of the victory. And they go and Jericho falls and it's a great victory celebration. They go to the next battle and Israel's defeated and they can't figure out what happened. So God begins to narrow down what happened. There's a man in the camp named Achan and when they took over Jericho, he took some of the, the belongings, some of the spoils of victory, the silver and the, the precious things, and he stole them, buried them under his tent. And because Achan had buried that, that, that stolen stuff under his tent, nobody knew about it in the camp except God. God chose to withhold his blessing from the children of Israel. Let me tell you, folks, there can be unconfessed sin. There can be sin that we cling to and cherish that can stop a move of God in a congregation. I had a man one time, almost single-handedly, almost single-handedly stopped the move of God in a congregation. And he came to me later broken, and he said, Pastor, I've, I've been wrong. Will you forgive me? Let me tell you something. One person, one sin can stop the move of God. You heard of the rock band Van Halen. They were big, big, big for a while played these huge sold-out stadiums. And after, you know how the rock groups do, they get older, right? But they keep going. So Van Halen started playing these smaller venues because they couldn't fill the big stadiums. These smaller venues, but what they would do is they would roll into these smaller venues just like they were going to a, a huge arena, to a, to a huge stadium. 
And they were finding as they went in that they were having trouble negotiating the contract with those people. So here's what, they had this long contract, and buried in the middle of the contract was an article, uh, and they had it numbered and everything, about brown M&Ms. And what it said was, in our dressing room, in our green room, we want a bowl of M&Ms, but no brown M&Ms. Well, if y'all, anybody buy M&Ms, you know there's a bunch of brown ones in there, so somebody's going to have to take them out. So think, what a bunch of divas. What's up with that? Here's what they found out. They found out if they went into a venue, it was all about safety, really, and they went in the dressing room, and there were brown M&Ms. They said they haven't read the whole contract. And by not reading the whole contract, they haven't read the weight requirements for all our scaffolding and lighting and our equipment on the stage. Somebody could get hurt if the stage won't hold all our equipment. I thought, that's pretty neat. Brown M&Ms to be the indicator that something's not right. Folks, God, it may seem like a little thing to you, like a brown M&M. Say, what's the big deal anyway? God says it's a big deal. Unconfessed sin will hinder the move of God. Will you ask yourself that question? Am I clinging to any unconfessed sin? Is there something God has convicted me about and I just won't let it go? I will not say it's wrong. I will not say forgive me. And I will not turn from it. It's going to hinder the work of God. In Africa, as they trap monkeys to bring over to zoos for other countries... They look for a humane way of trapping the monkeys. So what they do is they, they set these, these large jars with a real small uh, opening, these large jars out on the jungle floor, and they fill them with real aromatic nuts and stuff that the monkeys would like, and they leave them there overnight. They come back the next day, and they find sitting next to a bunch of those jars monkeys. What has happened is those monkeys have just barely been able to get their hand in that jar, and they grab hold of whatever that food was, those nuts and berries and stuff, and they can't get their hand out of the jar. And they're not leaving, and the captors just come and haul them off because they can't move because they won't let go of that stuff. What are you clinging to today? Maybe you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, and you just know that if you do that, he's going to ask you to let go of that thing. He's going to ask you to let go of that relationship. He's going to ask you to confess that. Don't hang on to it. It traps you. Unconfessed sin hinders a move of God, hinders spiritual growth. Secondly, what about spiritual apathy? What about spiritual apathy? David says, create a clean heart for me, renew a steadfast spirit within me, and restore the joy of your salvation, in verse 12. Uh, Renew me, restore, those are important words. Here's what David is acknowledging in Psalm 51, that he has grown apathetic and indifferent, and he wants God to restore that sense of joy When I was a new believer, Andre Crouch was writing a lot of great music, and there's one song called Take Me Back, back in the 1970s. I'll date myself. Take me back, take me back to the place where I first received you. Take me back, dear Lord, where I first believed. I think that's David's prayer. David says, God, there was this moment in my life where my whole existence was was celebrating you. I gave my life to you, and I woke up every day, and it was new, and, and, and I rejoiced that I had a relationship with you, but now I've grown cold and apathetic, and I just show up now. I just go to church because I'm supposed to, and I just read my Bible because I'm supposed to. And, and David's prayer is, God, take me back to that moment when I hungered for you. One of the things that will keep you from growing spiritually, one of the things that will hinder a move of God is apathy toward the things of God. Will you ask yourself that question? First of all, am I clinging to unconfessed sin? Secondly, have I grown cold and apathetic toward the things of God? 
And I don't just mean church work. I don't just mean being in church. I mean a heart and a passion for God. The third thing, is there an unawareness of God's presence? To be unaware of God's presence. Look at verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Now in the context of David's Old Testament uh, life, the Holy Spirit had not yet come to dwell within believers permanently because Jesus hadn't come and hadn't returned to the Father and hadn't sent his spirit to live within us. And that happened at Pentecost. So when David says, don't take your spirit from me, don't take your presence from me, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and rested on people temporarily for works of ministry and service. So David's saying, God, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Are you aware of God's presence and work in your life? Do you see him at work? Or are you just so focused on other things? When our kids were little, we challenged them, let's look for things that God is doing. We'd say, I spy sometime. I spy, God did this. God provided that. God healed that person. God did this. Look for ways to celebrate God's presence. Have you forgotten that he's present? By the way, if God feels like he's not as close to you as he used to be, guess who moved? The last thing that I would list as a hindrance, unwillingness to submit. An unwillingness to submit. Look at verse 12 again. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and give me a willing spirit. Are you willing to submit? God is so gracious. We were talking in our connection class this morning about how uh, there's an atmosphere here of grace. That's because God is a God of grace. He he wants you to respond. I was watching a video this week of Monty Roberts, who's called the Horse Whisperer. He takes a Mustang and puts it in a round corral and and walks around. In the period of about 15 minutes, he's touching that wild Mustang. In a period of 20 to 30 minutes, they have a saddle on that horse and they're riding it. From this wild Mustang to being a submissive horse. And what he does is he, he walks around in that arena for a while and he talks to the horse and just just real quietly lets the horse kind of go both ways and then finally he approaches the ho- he waits for the horse to to bow its head and he eventually does it and then he approaches the horse he calls it he calls the that that part of it um, where he where he actually comes up the horse the join up technique he says the horse is going to join up to me and once he wins the horse's confidence he walks away from the horse and all oh, this is like 15 minutes into this this wild Mustang follows him and wants to be with him. And l- listen to what, he, what, what he, they, they explain it this way. He says he creates an atmosphere of respect that communicates, I'm not going to hurt you. You don't have to follow me if you don't want to. But after a brief period, the horse does. And the horse makes this choice. Here's the choice they say the horse makes. I want to be with you. I want to join up and follow you on the way. My place is safe with you. And as the horse drops her head, they say that's equine language for I submit to you. That's the way God does it. He says, I've created for you this safe place where you can come and find forgiveness of sin. And if you'll submit to me willingly to follow me, it'll be a safe place. Maybe you came to know Christ and you yielded to him, but stuff's happened. 
and you've grown cold and indifferent and apathetic, and now God is stirring your heart, and you just don't want to submit. It'll hinder the work of God. The second thing I want to say is we need to meet the prerequisites to spiritual growth. Meet the prerequisites to spiritual growth. And we're going to look at both of these passages here a little bit. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says clearly, My people are called by my name. Humble themselves. So number one, letter A, humble yourself. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to say, Lord, I, you're God and I'm not? Back at Psalm 51, you'll turn to verse 1. David says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Look at verse 4. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done what was evil in your sight. You are right when, I, when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. Here's what David says. God, you're God, and I'm not. And I'm humbling myself to you. That's what humility is. Knowing, knowing who you are in the presence of God is so important. In, in verse 17 of chapter 51, David says it this way, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. Humble yourself. Van Morris tells a story about a woman who went to see a dentist for the first time. And she's sitting in the waiting room and she sees the the name up there, and she starts looking at the plaque and the way the dentist spelled his name. She said, man, I, I went to high school with a guy who had a name like that. In fact, it's spelled exactly the same way. She's thinking about back in high school, she even had a crush on this guy. So she goes in, she thinks, I wonder if it's the same guy. And the dentist comes in, and it's obviously not the same guy because he's much older, gray hair, wrinkles, all that stuff, so she knows it's not him. But they just start talking and so she just says, uh, while he's working on her teeth, says, by the way, did you go to Morgan Park High School? He said, yes, I'm a Mustang. That was what their mascot was. He was prideful. And, and she says, when did you graduate? He says, 1959. Why do you ask? She said, wow, you were in my class. And he said, what did you teach? Sometimes you just need to be humbled. Sometimes you just need to be put in your place. Sometimes we just need to say, God, I'm looking at everybody else and everything that's wrong with them and how blah, blah, blah. And God says, would you look in the mirror? You look like you graduated in 1959 too. Gypsy Smith used to talk about revival and one of the things he said the best way to start a revival is to get a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the ground and then say God send revival in the middle of that circle and then step in the circle say God here I am I'm humbling myself someone else said revival is God's finger pointing at me God's saying there's a need in your life you need to respond you need to obey you need to submit you need to humble yourself secondly Second prerequisite is to pray for a move of God. Pray for a move of God. Back in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 again. If my people will humble themselves and pray, pray. To ask God to do great things. Love the story of the pastor who was standing at the invitation time and a man came down the front. His name was Ed. And Ed, he, the pastor said, how can I pray for you? Ed, he said, pray for my hearing. 
So the pastor put his hands on Ed's ear and prayed this eloquent, loud, victorious prayer for healing of Ed's hearing. Took his hands off and said, Ed, how's your hearing? He said, Pastor, I don't know. It's not till next Thursday. Some of you will get that later. You'll be sitting at lunch and you'll start laughing. See, sometimes we pray for the wrong thing. God fix them. God change them. God straighten out those politicians. God straighten out those people at City Hall. God straighten out those sinners down there. God fix them, fix them, fix them. And God says, you're praying the wrong prayer. Start with me. God move in me and let that be something that, that ripples, the ripple effect goes out to others. Maybe what God wants to do to do a move within this congregation, within this community, is to start with you. You just say, God, I'm crying out. We need a move of your spirit. The third thing that's listed in 2 Chronicles 7 is to seek God wholeheartedly. To seek him Humble yourself, verse 14. Pray, and God says, seek my face. Seek my face. This is not about being a better church member. We talked about that recently. This is not about being connected to a small group. Those are all important things. We'll talk about some of those things next week. But what I'm talking about right here is really to seek God and and his face, to know him, to be in relationship with him, to let it all be about him Karen Watson was a Southern Baptist missionary we sent to Iraq. And back in 2003, she was shot and killed with several other missionaries. Before she left for the field, she gave a letter to her pastor. And she said, if I don't come back, read this letter. So she was martyred. They opened the letter. I'm not sure if they read that at her funeral or what, but they opened the letter and read it. And it said, basically, if you're reading this, I've I've been killed. I'm dead. And she went through and described her calling to to, to Iraq. But then she said this in that letter. She said, I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. Folks, we are not called to Coastal Oaks Church in that sense. We are not called just to this. We are called to him first and foremost. To seek his face. And lastly, to forsake sin. Verse 15, I'm sorry, last part of verse 14. Turn from their evil ways. Turn from their evil ways. And then David's cry in Psalm 51 is he says, God, I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you. Jerry Bridges says it this way. Our attitude usually, our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We are more concerned about our own victory over sin than we are over the fact that our sins grieve the heart of God. Could that be you? To you, sin is just something that gets in the way of you living a victorious Christian life. Sin is just a barrier for that. Can you look at sin as something that grieves and breaks the heart of God who gave his only son to die on a cross for that sin? Someone said, If you look at an approaching train, it looks like it's about half as fast as it really is, and it it looks like it's farther away than it really is. So that describes Satan's trap. You ever pull up to a railroad track and think, 
I wonder if I can make it. If you ever did, you obviously made it because you're here. But some people don't make it because that train is moving faster than you think and it's closer than you think. That's a description of the way the enemy traps you. You think, I can get away with this. Nobody will find out. Nobody will know. It'll be okay. It's not as bad as what so-and-so did. It's Satan's trap. Be careful. Let's end with this positive affirmation. When we get ourselves in that place, number three, you can get ready to be used by God. Some of you are wondering why God hasn't used you. Maybe he's been waiting to do a work in you. You haven't expected him to do a work in you because you haven't been prepared. You haven't sought him with your whole heart. You need to expect it. Here's what happens. First of all, God will work through us. God will work through us. In Psalm 51, David says in verse 13, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will turn to you. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. See those two thens? In essence, God is saying, I want to do that, but I'm not going to do it till you get right with me. And when you get right with me, I will work through you and do great things because you'll be clean vessels. See, God wants clean vessels to do his work. Oswald Smith said it this way, the world doesn't need sermons, it needs a message. I I would say that Rockport, more than them needing to hear me preach, they need to see you live it. You wonder why the seats aren't full? You wonder why every time we give an invitation, people aren't responding here? Could it be that people are waiting to see a message and not just hear a sermon? What God wants, though, is clean, empty, available vessels to be used. There's a critter. I thought it was only in Asia called the ermine. Wendell told me what it is this morning after I talked about it at 8.30. They actually have them in Wyoming. It's a little weasel. And in the wintertime, its coat gets completely white except a little dot on its tail. This complete white-coated animal. Here's how they catch them in Europe, in Asia. What they do is they go, the, the, they go to the, the den of the ermine after it's left and it's doing its hunting thing, and they smear all kinds of muck and grime around the entrance to that den. And that ermine, when it comes back, is so careful to protect the purity of its white coat that it, the dogs chase it. It's like chasing a coon or something. The dogs chase it, and it goes straight to its den, but it will not go in because it doesn't want to get its white coat dirty. And the captors just take them away, one after another. Because that animal is so committed to the purity of its coat, it's not going near anything that's going to defile it. That's how you get used of God. That's how God works through a clean vessel. When you're so concerned about your own personal holiness and purity that you're not going to let anything defile. God will work through you and lastly, people will be saved. People will be saved. Sinners will turn to you, David cries. God says through Solomon, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 2 that he puts us on display for other people to see. Matthew chapter 5, 14 and 16, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father. That's the way God wants to work. Remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? 
King Darius puts him in there and doesn't want anything to happen to him, but he's kind of backed up against the wall because of his decree, and he's hoping that Daniel is okay. And when he goes to find Daniel the next morning, the lion's mouths have been sealed shut, Daniel's faithful, and Darius cries out, God is the true God. He embraces, to an extent, Daniel's God because he sees God lived out in the life of Daniel. That's what God wants to do in us and through us. People will come to know Christ when the people of God begin to live the message, transform lives. You can't stop it because that's the way God works. Recently, one of our men has been living the Christian life in front of his co-workers. One of those co-workers recently came to Christ simply because that man was living his life out, living that message. A few years ago, a, a pastoring in another church, a lady came forward who had grown up in that church. Her parents were active in the church. She had made a commitment as a child, a, a profession, but she said she really wasn't genuine. She really wasn't genuinely following Christ, and she made a commitment of her life. Begin to follow Christ faithfully. Not too long after that, her husband, who wasn't a believer at all, came to know Christ as his Savior. Not too long after that, I got a phone call from her, and she said, Brother Kevin, you need to help me. My, my son is ready to accept Christ. And I said, well, lead him to Christ. And she was, I don't know if I can. I said, you can do it. So this couple got to lead their little boy to Christ. Say, that's because the pastor was lazy? No, because I wanted them to have a blessing. It's a blessing, isn't it? Amy? Be able to lead your kids to Christ. They led their son to Christ. I got in touch with them a few years later after I came down here, and they have been called into the ministry. And I think, I think about that family being impacted, the husband being saved, the little boy being saved, and them going into ministry and having an impact because that, that, dot, that night, that young lady said, God, I'm just going to be honest and transparent before you, and I'm going to come clean. That's what God wants. That's how God wants to use you. Will you let him? Let's pray.